Welcome to Tales from the Multiverse, where I, Gabe Sluice, will spin you stories from worlds parallel and beyond our own. This week we're going to be reading the third sneak peek to my upcoming novel I'm working on, Behold the Interstice. This one actually is the chapter section that I'm working on currently. I found that reading out loud really helps my editing process and finding that flow for my stories, so this should help quite a bit. I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's the penultimate one of the season, so stick around for this week and next week, and uh, that'll finish us up for season two. All right, guys, enjoy. Hiron. Imagine a tall building. Use whatever frame of reference works best for you. I grew up among tall trees, with many branches and levels dug into the trunk. For you, it could be a stone tower, like the one you are imprisoned within. Or, think of it like an ocean cavern system, with many layers of depths. Or pages of a book. In each of them, it takes quite an effort to go the long way up, or down levels, to get to new places. There are shortcuts or thoroughfares. Sometimes the men residing in each level became smart enough to smash through to another. Holes can be ripped in spots, or stairways built. These are often guarded. Many of the thoroughfares between worlds are hard to find and not frequently traveled. Then, there are those like you and I. I found myself lost from my world. Once I understood these facts, it was easy enough to identify the cracks between the worlds and slip between them. It would have been nearly impossible to push on if it wasn't for the gift I received. I couldn't have done it on my own, as I'm sure you know. You were given a similar gift. I suspect they originated from the same power. While I forced my way through, searching to restore myself to the home I once knew, your gift lets you travel the worlds by sheer force of will, without ever having to leave. Your only limit to your travels is your imagination. You are not constrained by the need for food or water or warmth. As long as your physical body is secure, you are free. Count yourself lucky, Hiron. But I'm trapped. I'm a prisoner. All I can do is wander. I can't touch anything. But you can see and learn, Aros answered. You can speak. You are here, following me, mining me for information, trying to convince me to find you and rescue you. I swear, my master told me that he knew how to find the wood between the worlds. This is the elevator you described. It can take you to any level of the tower. If you come for me, I will take you to it. I promise you this. I have heard of this place, with one entrance and all exits. An elevator to any level. I have heard of many such stories. I have chased down many leads. And here I am, still. So you won't come for me? Hiran sat back dejected. Don't bet on me. I am not a hero or a savior like you think I am. But you have been given a gift that men would devote their whole lives for. Use it! If you can find the person I am looking for, I will repay the debt. But don't stop with me. Look elsewhere. I have met others who know their way up and down the levels. They threw him, by the arms, into the dark cell without a word. Hiram felt his toe catch on an uneven floorboard. He could not stop from sprawling onto the hard, gritty floor. He didn't lift his head as the door slammed shut behind him. He was left in the dark, still, unable to will his body to move. The cold stonewood under his cheek 
felt good on the aching flesh. The sweat on his back began to cool, and he felt at peace with the ground that held him. The hurricane that had consumed his life for the last six hours had pummeled his young body like nothing he had yet known. Soldiers of the Governor's 33 had grabbed him as he walked home from his master's pottery studio. The first blow was the worst, as it was met with confusion and anger at the thick-armed men who took control of him so easily. He was lifted from his feet and thrown into a chariot, where every protest was met with a swift strike from his captors. He learned it would be best to shut up and lay huddled on the floorboards as the driver wound through town. Eyes beginning to swell, he was drugged into a white stone building, somewhere in the center of the city. Here, he was interrogated and further roughed up, accused of lies and crimes against men he had never known. After a lifetime of verbal and mental attack, he somehow made them stop. He spoke the words they wanted. The thought was intangential, fleeting, and they left. Hauled out of the room and into another, Hiram was held by the arms in front of a court. Before a trifecta of judges, he once again was forced into words and concepts that were too sharp to be brought into focus by his exhausted brain. But everything became clear for a moment, the moment right after the Supreme Judge stood and sentenced him to a life spent in solitude within the Tower of Cape. He began to cry and howl as they removed him from the court. He was swiftly silenced by another strike to the lower stomach the moment he was out of sight of his condemners. The sweat of fear and pain, mixed with dirt and blood and grime, cooled to a film over his body. Brought to the tower and led up into its high reaches, Hiron fell asleep where he was thrown, a prisoner forevermore. In the darkness, a figure emerged from the deeper shadows of the cell. He stood, straight-backed, hair meticulously raked away from his forehead, side walls cleanly shaven to the scalp. The face beneath crimson hair was old, unlike the strong body it commanded. The unknown man stood over Hiron, appraising the newcomer with a hawk's eye. After a moment of observation, Hiron let out an unconscious whimper. Deeper into the darkness, the man backed, disappearing from the cell. The young man slept off the first day of his new reality. Captain Falto knocked gently on the wooden frame of the governor's private office. The simple, yet towering wooden building stood across the street from the extravagant white stone of the Capitol building. The tall, thin officer ascended the wooden spiral steps to the loft without a word. He paused at the top of the steps and spoke. We took care of the Woespertis boy, as you requested. There were no problems in the courts, and he was placed on the top reaches of the cape. The governor nodded thoughtfully from his simple wooden desk, gazing at the Capitol building through a large window. His white-gray hair fluttered subtly from the morning breeze drifting off the mountains that met the horizon. He stood, pushing back his simple stool with the backs of his legs, and gathered the papers sitting at his desk. It's a dastardly thing, Governor Planchette said under his breath, but we must do the small things to keep the negus appeased. It is not my place to question your long view of the situation, Falto said, as the shorter man closed the shutters on his open-air window. You know you may say whatever you like, Planchette said to Falco. I'm not blind enough to think I am capable of missing something. 
Falta led the way down the stairs and through the back corridors of the military headquarters. If other captains or sergeants of the governor's 33 crossed their path, they nodded to the pair, not overcome with expected military gestures. I just fear that it will set a precedent, Falto said. If Negus finds my wife to be pleasing, I would kill him long before I allow him to send me off to my death and imprison my eldest son. Well, then it is fortunate you have no wife or eldest sons, Planchette said with a smirk as they crossed the wide training room in the basement of the building. Several of the sergeants of the 33 halted their practice of throwing blades as the two passed. Thank you, boys, the governor said. Captain Falta opened a small door in the back of the room and entered the tunnel that ran under the street into the Capitol building. But I understand your objections, he continued as they worked their way through the dim passage. We will keep the boy until the Negus forgets him. He must give up any feelings for revenge, or I will never be able to release him. Perhaps the Negus will even grow bored with his new family and set them to the side. Unquestioned power has undoubtedly corrupted his thought processes. But time can change all things. So we continue on with our plans, and the boy sits for now. As they reach the end of the tunnel and Falto open the door, the pristine white of the Capitol building corridors awaited beyond along with the potential of government staff. As you wish, Governor, Falto said, formally, holding the door open and scanning for threats. The Governor tapped the captain with his folder of papers as he passed into the building, this time taking the lead as he walked to his official office, where the day's work for the governing of the province waited. And I think that's all I'm going to give you. You heard it first right here, the first three chapters, granted the rough drafts, of my novel I'm working on. I have no idea when it's going to be finished. I'm still slugging my way through parts, and uh, there's a lot more to go. But I like this one. It's all over the place. It's combining all kinds of different weird things, and we're going to see what happens with it. Next week, uh, you might not want to tune in, actually. It's going to be a sad one. It's going to be from one of my short story collections, and... If you've read any of them, you might have an idea which one it is. So, until then, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Gabe Sluice. You can download any of my previous ebooks, short story collections. They're all on Smashwords or iTunes or at Barnes & Noble. Anywhere you want to get some ebooks, you can probably find them. Alright, everybody. I'll see you later.